This is the second episode of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This episode introduces our first guest, who is Simon Brundish. He's an extremely experienced coach with a wealth of knowledge, and um, he's going to talk through a, a number of different things that I think you're going to take loads from, including um, how he challenged the norm when he went into his current role, which he talks about in the episode. Please subscribe and share the episode and enjoy. Welcome to episode two of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Simon Brundish. Um, Simon's going to have a chat with us today about what he's currently up to, his current roles. And uh, I think, Simon, you've got a few strong views on certain areas. Is that, is that fair to say? Hey, dude, yeah. Uh, it's probably fair to say in all areas, really. <laughs> so we're going to have a little chat about um, a few different things. We're going to see where this podcast goes. We're still early in the podcast, so we'll give it a good go and get some, some of Simon's views on certain things. So just kick us off, mate. First of all, congratulations. I hear you might have uh, scooped a little UK SCA prize. So massive congratulations from, from us. It's thoroughly deserved. Thanks, dude. It's obviously thoroughly deserved. No, there is no better coach of youth athletes in this country than me. And I absolutely uh, am, am the deserved champion or the only person nominated. One way or the other is true. <laughs> no, honestly, though, it is, it is deserved. And um, for anyone that doesn't know about Simon's work, that's something that we're going to cover today. And it is absolutely quality. So, no, congratulations. That is, that is really, Cheers, really good. So give us a little bit of um, um, some of your experiences and what you're currently doing. And, and yeah, let's kick us off with, with that first. So uh, I'm old, uh, I'm bald, and I've been a, I, I qualified as a sports scientist in 96. Um, did a master's afterwards at Loughborough. Um, and now we get to call ourselves S&Cs. But uh, over the years, I've worked as a fitness coach. I've worked as a personal trainer. Um, I largely like the guise of a sports scientist that actually just applies my knowledge in a, in a, a multitude of roles. Um, I've worked 97, 98, 99, Premier League, Coventry, Leeds. Um, I worked for Bordeaux for a year. Then in cricket a little bit, I work, worked in uh, the Premier, whatever the basketball league is called. I, I barely take any notice of these things. I just like the people and like making them stronger and faster. So yeah, um, yeah. We, we can overcomplicate all of this nonsense. And, and largely it's about um, the, the sport, whoever, whoever the athlete is involved is just whoever's coming around for my dinner, for, uh, coming around my house at Christmas dinner. Sometimes they're, they're big black American dudes. Sometimes they're Indian dudes. And sometimes they're um, English footballers. That's largely what de what de who's determined by that stuff is what sport I'm in currently. Um, for the last, uh, I started a company called Strength Lab uh, when I first came out of uni because what do you do with a sports science degree in '96? No one's ever heard of sports science. Um, and I, over the last five years, have been working primarily in the youth market, which didn't exist. And now, thankfully is to urge, um, largely due to my wife, who is a primary school teacher in Hev PE and the government, which gave some money out to every primary school every year. And we developed a program called Strength Lab Superheroes, which 
It's really a progressive fundamental movement scheme. So uh, uh, a teacher knows what um, the first fundamental movements are, and then they know what how to um, to coach. No, they don't. But they know uh, largely what they're looking for and what a year six PE student's fundamental movements should look like when they leave school. Um, that's kind of it where we're at. We're, our program's web-based and has currently 58,000 kids in the system. Just not to cut you off, because that, that's awesome, but just fill us in a little bit more on the on the sort of system you developed. How did you kick it off? Because I, I've seen it when you presented at one of our network meetings and you gave us a, um, a rundown on like the movements that the kids do and the way that you get them to progress it and essentially they now they now coach themselves is that fair enough to say yeah that's largely it so uh like three four five years ago i'm not entirely sure when you get to a certain age you kind of age years become they all just become one so i'm not entirely sure how long ago but um my my wife approached me said we've just got 10 grand and um a statement from the the uh government saying how we need to improve physical literacy here's ten thousand pounds what's physical literacy so we, we, I had my ideas. We looked into it as sports scientists would, did research, looked at any, any of the research, uh, any of the literature, uh, and who was the world leading experts in such. Um, and so we were led down the whole Canada path because they are the world leading experts in physical literacy and all sorts of child research. Um, and New Zealand and Australia have some awesome stuff as well. The leader in our country was the great legend of Calvin Giles, who is now back in Australia. And we looked at implementing lots of these different systems bit by bit, um, uh, finding out that one was too technical, one was too intellectual, one was just impossible to implement, one was just impractical. And ending up taking bits and bobs from each of these things, coming up with our own kind of philosophy. And um, so we we came up with what were our fundamental movements? Because coming from a strength coach background, sports science background, physical literacy to me means largely the ability and the skills to move and um, efficiently in all planes, all speeds, um, in all directions at any time as a skill in response to something. Um, so I wanted kids to have a, a wide ranging toolbox of movement. We call it the times table of movement because currently I believe, well, I believe that um, teaching kids in prime in PE in primary schools, their games based stuff in sports based stuff. And I believe uh, uh, a sports skill is a quadratic equation. And we haven't taught kids to add one and one and then one and two. And so we looked at the process of doing that from a movement perspective, starting with a shallow squat, for for example, we end up with a bound and stick on a progressive scheme. So we came into uh, our program has um, five skill streams and 24 levels of which increasing, increasing either in metabolic difficulty, metabolic cost or in complexity or both. Um, Each exercise has five key points they have to hit uh, that are fairly easily explained to a teacher three years ago. And we've since uh, discovered that teachers have uh, a considerable degree of apathy towards PE. So it's very unlikely they're going to teach it. And largely they're in high heels while they're doing it as well. So um, we've gone from the original plan was to set up a pathway for uh, strength and conditioning coaches to deliver in primary schools. 
our program to teachers teaching it in primary schools to now it's largely designed around um, using the facilities that um, primary schools have, which is an, uh, a sports hall or, a, or at least a dinner hall, a big hall and uh, a large array of tablets or iPads. So our program works on an iPad. We gather the, the kids, split them into five groups, one, eat, one hero each, and they look at their iPad. They all have their own individual profile. Um, they look at what level they're supposed to be working at. Is There's a video of each exercise with all the coaching points. They look at it. They look. Kids are very often visual learners, so they can copy the video. But then there are coaching points. They're also mean to each other. So there's no way that Johnny is, uh, is giving Freya a star, which you get for, for uh, um, competence of each coaching point if they're not actually achieving said coaching point. So the, the, they peer review, they peer coach, they peer review in a group, and then they go and deliver to everybody once their group has largely mastered that skill. They go and deliver to the rest of the, the, the class and teach the rest of the class. And it keeps um, competence very high because, as I said, they're kind of mean in, in doing this. And then the teachers and the head teacher in particular can track their kids' progress throughout the school. Um, they have to hit four levels of progress per year. There are 24 levels uh, in total, which fits in neatly with their um, their seven-year um, journey at school. So they don't have to begin assessing in the first year, which is reception. So they begin assessing each other in year one um, and they can easily prove value added um, by their money spend because they can see objectively how their kid is progressing uh, throughout the school to offset. I think that's one of the, the genius things I've seen about this program is how creative it is and in the, the use of the the superheroes and that. I've, I've seen like the little clips that you showed us on the meeting about the kids sort of assessing each other and I think the superhero theme must work amazingly well. Is that was that you came up with that? Yeah. So so one of the big things was was. Um, Here's the technical model of where we of the, of the movements that kids need. So we reverse engineered basically. This is what the the um, that an Olympian, an elite Olympian. We've got a couple of of uh, elite sprinters we work with. Um, here are the movement qualities that we ideally would like an elite Olympian or an elite footballer or an elite rugby player to have. These are the movement qualities, and we reverse engineered it back to uh, at eleven. We kind of want them to do these things. So have good good core control, good anti-rotational, good um, uh, single single leg and um, bilateral movement in all planes, squat, jump, land, all of those things. Uh, and then so we construct the program from this. But then how do you get kids engaged in this? That was then the question. You have to make it fun. Uh, you have to get some kind of uh, connection with them, some interest in them. Um, so I started, I've got, fortunately, I, I've got uh, at the time two primary school aged children. So, um, they are large inspiration in this. And we came up with, uh, with, we picked out superheroes. And over the course of the first six months of implementing it and me coaching it, um, in, in prime, in my wife's primary school, um, we started to attach a specific movement stream to a hero. Um, and that's how Iron Man became the squat pattern, really. So there, Iron Man. So we we teach all, we coach all of our um, standing movements from um, a best superhero pose. 
So kids jump, their feet hit width apart, big chest up, they're proud, hands on the hips. Um, show me you're awesome. And kids instantly jump into this position and they get engaged auto- really quickly, automatically. Uh, and then they stick their lasers on of Iron Man because Iron Man's got big lasers on his hands, which is what controls his takeoff and landing and flying. So then you can start to guide your way down to the floor and then back up again. And as we progress through the, um, the, the squat matrix, the squat progressions, by the time we get to nine, then we can start jumping. Um, and they love that whole of the lasers blaring and it's, it's noisy. It's, um, it's interactive and it gives them some kind of buy into that. The, then we've got an anti, uh, an anti rotation, um, pathway, really, uh, core anti rotational stuff. Uh, and that's Spider-Man, Spider-Man crawling, Spider-Man crawling up a wall, Spider-Man crawling on the floor and then, uh, obstacles that he comes across and he has to maneuver around basically. Um, so yeah, so we could, we could start to uh, plot the superhero movement patterns with that. Over, over the first couple of years, we changed a couple of movements because they didn't have enough buying of the kids. Uh, so we originally had the thing from Fantastic Four and they killed the, fan- the Fantastic Four franchise. It didn't make a big deal. So, so no one, the kids, so newer kids didn't know who they were. Uh, younger kids and then we added in Superman because of the whole Superman flying Superman flying in a horizontal position so then we could buy it we could kind of leverage that with the whole planking idea and then um, keeping that uh, we, we change um, the forces on on that horizontal position but you're still trying to, trying to protect that horizontal position throughout that um, path of, of his exercises. Let me just knock him my coffee on the floor. Um, and then we had originally Hulk with doing a big Hulk smash because it's Hulk. Why wouldn't you smash? Um, and that's, that's a big winner with the kids. They love the big Hulk smashing on the floor. Um, and we've, we've moved them around with, uh, Thor. So now we have a Thor's hammer, which is the, which is the, um, lunge, uh, the single leg progression. So we can go from um, a big, we use a big hammer or a metaphorical hammer. It depends. We have both. You can use your imagination or, or actually use a big inflatable thing and smash the floor because it's got that external cueing. Then we can start with the younger kids. You can start building in like little stories of um, we're smashing jelly monsters or you can put dots on the floor. So they're walking around the floor and they have to get their, they have to smash that dot. Um, who is an alien of some variety, however your imagination would work, whatever works with those individual kids, but you've got the external cueing then, which gets them in the right positions. And then you can reinforce the good, how that feels, which muscles they can feel. Let's do this slowly and then get out of that position. And which muscles can you feel at, at specific moments as they're, as they're standing back out, recovering back out of those positions. So you can reinforce what we're doing. You can reinforce how we're doing it and which muscles are working to get us in and out of these positions. And then on top of that, with the superhero stuff, that's awesome. But then as they get older, we can start to parallel that with which sport do you see this happening in as well? So it ties in the younger age group with the superhero stuff. And then as they start to progress through primary school, we start to, um, they, they start to be more inspired by what's happening in sports. So did they see LeBron James landing like Iron Man? Or um, did they see Brian O'Driscoll doing a sidestep like Thor? That kind of stuff. 
Yeah. So on that, just going into your your current role um, a little bit more, how how have you related that and how have you brought that into the, the world of football? So you said about obviously being in football a few years ago, but I know you're currently working in, in female football as well. How have you implemented that with the girls you're working with? So, yeah, I took a role 18 months ago, beginning of last season, uh, at Derby County with uh, their, acad- their girls' academy, their female academy. And yeah. it's, it's probably my two favourite hours of the week. Um, it's not a lot. They don't pay a lot. Actually, they don't pay me at all, but um, they, they, they should. They just haven't. That's a different story. Um, they, um, they don't have a lot of money. They're not heavily funded like, uh, like Premier League or even like Derby County's uh, men's team, but they still try to behave like a men's team. The FA, I don't know how, what you know about this, but I don't know what the listeners know. There is a scheme, um, a basically um, a, a network of, uh, of clubs that work below the England team um, and they're called regional tr- regional training centres RTCs so Liverpool Man United Man City Arsenal Chelsea Leeds Sheffield United all of these have these RTCs um, and the girls that then go on to play for the England underage teams all the way up to the women's team they all come from these RTCs um, and Derby County are one of those so they have the set rules like the EPPP and we have to provide uh, S&C services. They have to provide physiotherapy. And so when I arrived, they'd had uh, previously had um, a subcontracted for two years, two different S&Cs. They were very linear. They're young because they can't pay a lot. So uh, these are kids that come out of university and they're, treat- they're, they're basically coaching in a very by-the-book manner. They're doing an awful lot of testing. So they're using timing gates because they're available because we've got great facilities at university. That's where we train. Um, and they're doing all of the stuff you might see in a, in a very linear program for grown-ups, for professional footballers on the Internet. Um, and they're taking... Um, RPE scores, they're doing uh, specific recovery days, they're doing um, lots of uh, uh, jump testing, that kind of stuff. And, and, and my girls, they're from they're under 14s, under 16s, under 18s I work with. So these kids, some of them start at 12 and there's, they go right the, age through, right the way through. But each, each age group has two year variability in beginning to end so you can imagine the maturation state none of them had been had been um uh, looked at that maturation or the growth or maturation status so i instantly came in abolished all testing because these girls could largely not move very well so i don't know how much you've been involved in girls football it's very different from boys academy football in that the boys academy football the the, the worst player in, in Derby County's boys under 14 is still a very fit kid. Yeah. Um, and that's not the case in girls football. Um, so we've got, you've got, I've got 12 year olds who range from six stone to 10 stone. Um, and can run 40 meters in five and a half seconds and in nine seconds. Um, and so my point, Instantly, I got. We had big discussions with the technical coaches, and thankfully, the, uh, the the academy director who got me in in the first place liked the stuff that I do and the way that I coach. And um, I basically said, for the first year, all we want to do is work on movement competence, improve improve their movement efficiency. So all they did, the technical coaches, they still like the running, so they did a they did a sprint test on the first uh, the first day after preseason, first day of preseason, and then they did an exit test. 
And um, so on the course of the whole year, we worked originally first six weeks. I had uh, 12 year olds and 18 year olds doing superheroes, working right through the progression of the superheroes program. The competence level was terrible, but the progression was really rapid. So they the on first what would be a loose assessment, because we didn't do any, any individual profiling or any actual assessments, but um, it would be around a competence of. Each exercise has five stars. We're getting probably twos and threes throughout. And in each group, there'll be one or two kids that will get five. They're naturally athletic, really skilled kids. They'll get five, which is awesome. Um, but by the end of the six weeks, all of the kids that were getting up to fours. So their movement competence was improving so much. Um, on top of the, the movement, just improving movement competency, um, through the superheroes program, we were then doing locomotive stuff. We were doing some sprint stuff, some some kind of loose ath- um, athletic development, some acceleration, deceleration kind of stuff. But it's all based around a game. So we would have some kind of chase. We would have some kind of mazes. We would have, dependent on which age group, but largely the 18s were still compliant and still happy to go along with the, with the 12s. We would have uh, weekly plank challenges to improve their trunk uh, their trunk conditioning. Um, so this would be good old fashioned what you what largely would be seen as ten uh, year old PE, uh, a good ten year old PE lesson, but with purpose for the for the course of the year. And at the end of the year, the apart from the great feedback we had from parents and from the kids and from the coaches, their the average um, sprint time had improved by forty forty percent without doing any lifting, without doing any testing, just play. And improving movement competence, 40%. The injury rate had gone down 80%. And we had three soft tissue injuries throughout the year. And the previous year, they had over 30. How much do you think that's to do with the actual coaching of it, Sam? Because you said before about um, that you've basically gone in and, and challenged the norm. You've, you've brought in this approach and this uh, creativity to the programme. But they were obviously doing bits of like what you said is like what people were referred to as traditional S&C before, but then obviously the results between that programme and your programme are drastically different. So how much do you think is is about the, the sort of coaching, the creativity of the programme? I don't know. I think largely there is, um, it's really hard for an S&C to prove their worth for a start. We, it's, it's, it's one of the battles that we fight with every day in a, in a professional capacity, proving your value. And, and, S&C is a traditionally sports scientists at heart and we prove our value through numbers. And so to get numbers, you need to do testing and you can get it, it, it kind of parallels to like year two at school, primary school, where the school are proving how well their, te- their kids are learning throughout the year. But in year two, they spend nearly the whole year practicing for SATs. So all they're doing is getting better at SATs. They're not actually getting more knowledge. And so what what theoretically I did was get rid of that challenge of testing of getting better at those tests and just made them better within their own bodies at controlling their own bodies and giving them the representative skills that they could then apply in a sports setting and it seemed to work one of the big things is that is that uh, there is an extra level of commitment that you get from the girls because it's fun and they want to do it, but then they also see how much each of them are improving. There is always a hierarchy in a sports group, isn't there? If you work with a football team, there, there is the kid that knows he's the best footballer. There is the kid that everybody knows is the fastest. 
the kid that everybody knows is the most athletic, but also the kids that you know that are the slowest and are the least, least athletic. So if those kids start to win races and they're doing nothing else but your program, then the kids that are naturally good, that have half-assed it, large part of their lives just because they've got natural talent, they start to buy in a little bit more. They start to question, okay, then maybe this is working. So, so every, but so the effort of everybody goes up. The, the commitment of everybody to the activity goes up. So just doing some of those activities works. Whether my activities are, my, my drills and coordination skills are better than the previous guy. Who knows? They're probably the same. But mine were doing it with more in, more purpose and more intent than they were before because they were bored because two he was coaching like he was pro- he was planning to coach twenty um, five year old professional men and that's not how kids work and I think yeah. there is a the pedagogical approach is probably the largest um, factor. I think that's a massive point that you made there that. And we've spoke about this in the meetings a lot of times that, that co- about proving your worth and um, making sure that the people making decisions on sort of financial um, financial decisions that they know that you're worth and all the rest of it. And I think a lot of it comes down to that, doesn't it, in terms of numbers and testing and all the rest of it. And I think pe- a lot of coaches actually forget that we're there to improve the players. Yeah. And... That's exactly what your system does. Yeah, you're not going to get loads of results and testing results out of it, but essentially, if they're improving, they're getting better and they're committed to the program. That's a massive step in the right direction, isn't it? Especially from where you took them for, took them from at the start. Yeah, 100%. Now you can't. This this year, which is the second year in, we've got rid of four or five girls just because that's how girls football works. There's a whole new trial at the beginning of every year. Um, but in the school, in the trial where we had 80 kids come for each age group, my girls stood out an absolute mile in, in terms of you could just see from running which ones have been in the system. And when uh, I went to see uh, the the dev team, so um, once they progressed beyond the under 18s, they then go to what would be the reserves, basically, for the for the ladies team. Um, and. Across the league, there is still that massive variety in body shape and in athleticism. And my, I, I've got four girls that just moved up to the dev team, two of which play for England, so they're amazing. Um, but they, just their athleticism was worlds apart. It was like watching Mo Salah run against Neil Ruddock. I uh, just set a record because I, I wondered how long it would take before you brought Liverpool up. <laughs> You've gone past what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so well done thanks okay uh, I, I can put this against this is Marcus Rashford running past uh, running past a, a, a chubbier Eric Cantona <laughs> well done good save good save <laughs> um, so where where do you think your your coaching style has progressed the most over the years, Simon, from when you, when you started, like you said, about being co- at Coventry at Leeds at Bordeaux, um, and then what you're currently doing with, with Strength Lab, but also with Derby as well. How do you think it's progressed the most? I, I, I'm not, I, I, do you know what? If, because I, I find myself, I don't know what you, what, what, 
how you work, but I still we still have a personal training business that's been going for 22 years, which has been what's been paying my mortgage and probably which is what has enabled my confidence enough to back myself when it comes to these things rather than, you know, questioning myself and, and jumping through the hoops of employers. Um, so I've always had some kind of personal training to be going along amongst my other eight employees that have been fabulous to me for the, for, for the years. So my coaching style has definitely developed. But I, th- I, I wonder if the, my biggest evolution was actually having my own children. Yeah. And... Being so just for a second, right? If uh, if you go to university to be a strength coach, which is what is available now because it wasn't when 20 years ago when I was when I was at university. Um, and so you're going to do an SSC program and you go you stay at uni, go through your B.Ed., then you go or B.Sc. and then you go through your uh, master's in S&C. And you might get a little bit of coaching practice, but the large part of that coaching practice is coaching other kids your age. Yeah. So you get you're coaching other kids that are athletic, that are are focused and determined to either be good at that exercise that you're coaching or that drill you're coaching or they're deliberately trying to piss you off. One of those two things depends on the dynamic. Right. But the skills that are required that you're going to develop in, in those those circumstances are very closed. And until you're exposed to different environments for you to um, to then apply, for you then to fail, at, I think failure is a massive thing. For you to get, um, it's, it's the biggest thing I find about experience is that, is that failure in, in what doesn't work, that then you then can rejig how you approach something. Um, and and so how when I had kids, I've been coaching people my age. Because then you come out of university, you're 24, 25, 26, 27, um, and you're coaching 24, 25, 26, 27 year olds. Yeah. So you're still talking to peers. They just have more money than you. Um, and then you have kids. And when I had kids, it just opens this whole new vocabulary and process of interaction. And, and it's, it's obviously different because they adore you and they'll do whatever you say. But you have to speak to them differently and they speak to you differently. And, and so you have to listen in a different way as well. And I think that that has opened up some pathway in my mind to be able to speak and listen and relate to younger athletes down to four or five year olds. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that that's I think that's probably where it where it happened alongside just being open enough to see my failures individually and, and on a macro level as learning experiences rather than just failures. So if I'm trying to, uh, if I'm working with a professional grass- basketball team and then this uh, NBA veteran comes in and he's come to us because um, he got kicked out of the NBA because of, uh, say, an, a, an addiction problem. Um, and how I inspire that guy to uh, lift or to give me a 20 meter time or do a vertical leap is 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 a it needs a very different set of skills than how I need to coach uh, an 18 year old in an academy or a five year old in a primary school or a 25 year old England international footballer. They have just very different skills and you have to be open to, to understanding that this guy, when he tells you to fuck off, what the, what the hell are you, are you talking about? Why am I going to move? 
You have to understand that he is a bit of a dick, but I also need to find a different way to get my message to him because he's not hearing me, that yeah. I'm here to help him. And it's not that he's a dick and what I'm saying is right. It's that he's a dick, but he's also a, a professional athlete that's trained really hard to get where he is in his life. And I just need to find a different message to make him hear what I'm trying to say. And that, that comes with experience, doesn't it? Like you said, you've, you've had way, um, chances and experiences of working with all different ages, all different genders, all different types of people. And that's yeah. what you develop over the years by doing that, isn't it? Which is why I think it's essential for coaches to, to get out there and work with, like you've had different, you've worked with different sports um, and all sorts of different athletes, haven't you? Which is where you've, I, I have I also have a 79-year-old who comes in our gym every single day. Yeah. So, like, literally, on the same day, I could be I could be coaching a 79-year-old um, fella that does overhead squats three times a week, um, and then I could be coaching four-year-olds doing, doing Hulk smash and Olympic sprinters and football academy girls in the same day. Yeah. And I think we, we are very happy to grasp any opportunity that is given to us and define ourselves by that one opportunity rather than keeping our pathways open and uh, so that we can have a multitude of opportunities. So I, I'm largely seen as a youth coach these days, which I am absolutely fine with because that's the thing I love and I think I'm probably best at these days. Um, but people are happy to, to are too happy, I see, to be defined as being one of these things and and there is no need to be. It's just part of your journey that makes you that gives you a greater toolbox. I think the other thing on that is that I I know that this was definitely me. Like coming out of university, you're constantly chasing the the first team jobs, aren't you? Like you're looking at first team as being the be all end all of that's where everyone, I need to wants, get everyone wants to be strutters, don't they? Everyone wants to work for Man United. And yeah, yeah. Even you know, I would have probably at the time of it would have been tricky for me. <laughs> I might have a amount of job, but yeah, I probably wouldn't in fairness. But but in that process, you would. That's that's the dream, isn't it? You want to be that guy that is that is um, is seen on Sky um, warming up the lads at Old Trafford before um, you know a Champions League game. That's the dream. Yeah, and that and, and that's quite a funny. It's quite a funny thing to strive for, isn't it? Like. You're getting a, a 10 second clip of yourself on TV and this is what people are looking at as being like a successful, um, a successful role or a successful job. Whereas you look at all the systems in place and the people that you're affecting and, and other coaches like yourself that are, are hitting such a wide audience of people, not just in terms of sport, but in terms of like, like you say, all sorts of people, whether it's pensioners or whether it's people that have nothing to do with sport like that that's surely more impactful than uh, just having those 10 seconds of fame on tv where you in a lot of jobs as well you're quite restricted in terms of how much effect you can have on those programs too you uh, at, the, at the elite level if you literally had a talk to, to Stony, tony strudwick now it would be a very different conversation than five years than eight years ago when he was under fergie um, football is a is a very volatile place. I'm being kind here. Um, that let's just say the trust of sports science from the pe the decision makers and the people in power it isn't where it should be, and how much they value. 
the implementation of sports science and SNC is on a, we better have this because we don't want to be seen to not when all the, all of our uh, rivals have it. But what, what the fuck does it do for us really? Yeah. That's the mentality of them. And it's largely the mentality of English footballers as well. We're getting through a newer generation, to be fair. There's probably a, new, a younger generation that value it more. But that's largely the, the, the relationships I've had in, in English football. Foreign footballers are very often different. But in English football, that's largely the relationship I have with, with footballers. So you don't get to really impact an awful lot. You, you, I, no, you don't. And every single day, I promise you, the intrinsic reward I get on a daily basis from any one of my um, buckets of grannies or, or kids or from football or from youth footballers is greater than working on a, in a professional capacity at first team level ever was because there there's just stress coming from the top down. No one actually values the work that you're doing on a daily basis. You get to feel crap about yourself and you're constantly putting fires out and it's not that and you don't get remunerated in anything like the way that you would expect to either it's just not the dream um there are so many ways with people with our skills can impact society with much greater value with greater remuneration for that value and, or travel the world and the sports all around the world value your skills way more than we do in england yeah, I think I think that's vital for especially young coaches here as well from someone like yourself that's that's been through these jobs and, and seen how it works. How would how do you think it's going to be in sort of five, ten years time? Where do you think? And this is obviously purely opinion because we don't know. But how do you think things are going to progress, or are they going to progress? I think from um, an objective perspective, if you just look at the state of the fitness industry, the bit that we don't like to associate ourselves with in England, um, yeah. and it's, it's, it's largely a fight we have on a cultural level with personal trainers and S&C that we're better than them. Um, and I largely see ourselves as the best version of them. And we should be doing their jobs and then get Man United to come and pick the best versions of us. Um because bodies only move in a set number of ways and we're good at getting the, the particular necessary required responses from, from individual bodies better than anybody else. So just that's, that's a good thing. And the thing you see in the fitness industry now is, is, um, a huge swing towards functional, but, um, movements, but also towards independent box gyms. So you've got CrossFit. You've got um, the independent S&C establishments, big universities are investing so that, that they have big S&C facilities that um, public can go to. There's some great opportunities for young coaches to go and learn and practice and make money while practicing their craft of coaching. Um, I think there is going to be a huge influx in, in the medical, the, the, some stuff we've worked on over the years with Johnson Johnson that the, uh, the average um, diabetic patient, type 2 diabetic patient, costs £82,000 to the National Health Service a year. And if you put one S&C in a GP surgery and they can impact on regularly 200 of those patients, you're saving £16 million and you can pay that S&C grand. That's the kind of stuff that is going to be commonplace. At the same time, I think 
as the more money that comes into sport, more money that comes into football, they'll find they'll, they'll eventually get their head around the the decision makers that um, we wasted fourteen million. Uh, our club wasted fourteen million pounds on players this year that that were too injured to play. Maybe um, if we pay more attention to the SNC, if if when the head of performance set tells the manager. Uh, this guy is probably in the red zone. He needs he needs a week off, or he needs to reduce his load in training for the next two days. Um, maybe they'll start um, uh, applying the authority to to the necessary decision makers, so that those things happen and save the club fourteen million a year. So in the next five years, I think it's a much more positive place than it is now. I think we've grown exponentially from where I began at. It's 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 a great job. It's a great marketplace for us we just need to need to be aware and and use all of the opportunities and you do you um how do you think we can we can have an impact and change the minds of people that made the decisions so how how do we get the decision makers to start taking notice because we if we revert it right back to when we were talking about when you took over at derby and then and the guys before, and this is no disrespect to whoever was in charge of that program before, because this is going on everywhere. But they were doing the testing, they're trying to prove their worth, and essentially in their eyes, probably doing a lot of the right things. How do you think we go about that without without reverting back to those sorts of programs? I'm not sure if it's possible for us, us to uh, influence directly. I think it will just become it, there'll be a cultural change as more people have been exposed to good S&C those people will start to become decision makers. And then the value happens. So it's just a long-term process. We're coming through now. I'm 44. So I'm nearly 44. So I'm same age as Gary Neville, Robbie Fowler, um, David Beckham, um, Nicky Butt, Sol Campbell, all of those boys. And we've been through the ends of S&C. Um, so, so Frank Lampard is a little bit younger. Um, Stevie G that they uh, they are starting to... So as they're, as they're becoming coaches, and at the lower level you're starting to see it, like uh, Eddie Howe, they really value S&C because they know it's, it, it prolonged their careers a little bit, but they also saw the evolution after Wenger came in and started to make people uh, put their chips down. Um, the, the impact on the... On the the physicality of the game, like there is there is 38% more high-speed running. It, well, not now, because the, that study was four years ago. In the previous five years, it was 38% more high-speed running and 50-something percent more sprints, while there being 15% more distance in a game. Um, unequivocally, there is more physicality required from players, so they have to hit a higher peak. We're currently playing more games in a short period because of the stupid International Cup and that kind of stuff. But at the elite level, so there's more phys- physically required from each player. So the likelihood of getting injured goes up. The more, the better we are at reducing that risk and increasing, pushing those performance boundaries, the more value we will have. And as my age, between my age and your age, as they, as, as those guys become coaches and managers, they'll start employing more value as well as employing more SNCs in their, in their processes. So that then they'll start to get more authority in decision making. And how do you think about the roles of, of coaches? Because I think over the years, like for me being involved in football, I, I've seen that 
more and more technical coaches are wanting to learn about the SNC side. So rather than being an SNC coach and a technical coach, I think I've seen a bit of an influx of, of coaches wanting both sides so they can understand, not, not necessarily coach it, but they can understand both sides a little bit more. Where do you, what's your views on that? 100%. I think, um, it's really important. I've got, I've got UA for B from 20, uh, I did my UEFA B originally like 15, 20 years ago, maybe something like that. Um, so it's, it's, I think we've seen quite a lot of, of it's been part of the culture of, of S to have sports coaching backgrounds as well. Um, and there, there is, I've definitely seen, um, in the younger coaches, uh, a beginning of a crossover of, of young coaches starting on the, the, um, UKSCA accreditation. Just to get an understanding, I've seen quite a few recently, um, Nottingham, uh, Nottinghamshire, I've seen Yorkshire's, uh, physios, them doing, um, uh, them going on UKSEA accreditation to, they want to bridge the gap. So it's definitely becoming more of a holistic thing for sure. I think as coaching, rather than even just football coaching, as coaching, um, develops its own ideology. I think uh, crossing the platforms will be will be more commonplace, but coaching needs to underpin all of it. Yeah, so you're looking at that sort of whole rounded approach, and you? you have to tie in with with the coaches, and uh, I mean it has to be a like I say a fully rounded approach, not not a separate thing, and that's where the the buy-in is going to come. Exactly, and trust and common language. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, the, I think that's the common language is really, really important in coaching. It's one of the things I, I did a presentation at uh, Uni South Wales on, on Sunday, um, and and one of the underlying messages from the whole from the weekend there's like Ian Jeffries, Chris Toomes, uh, Ian Tacklin, uh, Kev Paxton, um, who else was there? There were loads. Rodri Lloyd, and and one of the take-home messages really in everybody's uh, presentation was was uh, language. It was about how the languages we use, the cueing, because in essence we talk about cueing all the time, but what that really means is language and how we relate. So we, how many of the meetings have we, have we sat in um, and, and discussed uh, relationships? Because that's what coaching comes down to. And, and it works in a, in a multitude of layers, a multitude of hierarchies. So, so it's really important that you have, have the good language that everybody understands from the director of football all the way down to the youngest kid. And the more languages that you can speak as a coach, the better the coach you will be. So the more ways that you can relate to each of those kids. So it's important that you, you understand YouTube and Fortnite to be able to speak to eight year olds. And it's, it's important that you, that you can, in football, speak about YouTube and Fortnite to 25 year olds as well. But, um, it's, it's important that you have a vocabulary. Yeah. Without a doubt. I think that's, uh, that's vital, isn't it? And it's, it's not just in football, but learning when you work in different sports as well. When I've been into different sports before, you have, that's one thing you have to click onto straight away because otherwise you lose the players, don't you? You lose the athletes in terms of what you're trying to put over. Yeah, definitely. If, if you can in your own mind even organize like a hierarchy of, um, of how, how you approach a certain type of personality type 
and um, if you can organize a hierarchy in a, in a group of who's who's which personality and how that works and who you can speak to to influence certain things and how you can speak to people and 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 um, and how those experiences and interactions work, the better the coach you'll be. So whether you're actually writing these things down and creating spreadsheets, which I've done many, 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 many times, or you just rely on your experience from trial and error, it's really important that you have those tools and these these relationships in your mind organized. Yeah, that's great. So what's your focus at the moment, Simon? Where are you looking at, at progressing the, the coaching program and especially with like Derby, what's what's the I know you're putting loads of stuff out on social media and if anyone isn't following you on um, particularly Instagram because I've seen loads of the videos and things you've been putting out recently and there's some absolutely amazing stuff you're doing there so if anyone's not following you, you need to follow you and um where where are you going to take that program what's the next focus for it there's there's no great long-term plan with that it's it's so the stuff that you see on on uh, on insta is largely a motivational tool um for the girls because it's, it's what i'm talking about the vocabulary is how you relate those kids relate through social media that's how they speak to each other that's that's a huge part, fundamental part of their life. And the opportunity to be on Instagram doing being seen doing the things that they do, they absolutely love it. And so they're begging me to put a video of them on tonight. Um, so it's a huge motivational tool. It's just it's exactly what I've been talking about. It's just it's my, my buy in with them. It, it also is great that it's it, it's uh that young coaches can follow and get ideas and we can interact and get ideas from each other and it's, it's, it's a good sharing opportunity but our the weird thing that um that my facility is next door to um we have we're right next door to a child soft play and the landlords the owners of the buildings they had some issues with uh child safeguarding about five years ago in the child soft play and um, it's, it's part. It's a covenant of the uh, of the lease agreement that we're not allowed to video or film. So we're not allowed to do anything from our own establishment. So you don't see any any of our videos because we're not allowed to video on the premises. Um, so so a lot of the stuff you'll see is is from yeah. A large majority of stuff is either shared or it's stuff that we do from the academy or in in local schools, which uh, which we have from the GDPR been allowed to. Um, which is shutting us down. So, but long term from our program, I would like to, as I mentioned earlier, we have 58,000 kids in our, in our program. That gives us a lot. Bear in mind, each kid has, uh, each exercise has five, um, coaching points, which leaves a data point every time you tick on us, you click on a star, which awards each child with a star. So when they're at school, they're counting how many stars they have. And at the end of the year, whoever gets the most stars in a year is the superhero of the year at their school. They each give us a, a data point. So we have 64 million data points of which we can start to see trends amongst um, age groups and demographics within those age groups. And hopefully we're going to use that with a couple of partnerships. We have University of Coventry, University of Hartbury. Um, and there's another one that wants to get in with us, actually, from uh, from the States to use our data to hopefully inform government practice to so to stop PE being about emotional behavioral development or whatever nonsense the uh, association of PE are desperate to make it um, and make our kids move better. 
because if if we can inform Ofsted to uh, have a criteria that uh, that they um, that they're testing for, they're governing for kids' movement competence at the end of year six. Just by having that one criteria change in Ofsted, it would revolutionise how PE is taught and the amount of effort and time um, invested in in our kids' health and and PE and physical behaviour. So that's my long term goal. That's awesome, absolutely awesome. I'm sure everyone will agree that that's uh, an amazing vision and a very impactful thing that you can that people can work on and they need to go and check out what you're doing because it is absolutely quality. Um, but listen, I've took up plenty of your time and I know it's been, what, 45 minutes and you've not been on Twitter to rant about Liverpool, so you probably need to go and do that, right? <laughs> yeah, I have a few people, I have a few people shouting at me, I'm sure. <laughs> I can multitask. Well, I, I, well, sorry. I, I can multitask well. <laughs> Just to uh, finish us off, Sam, just let everyone know where they can follow you and if, if there's any sort of ways that you want to direct the guys to like into the social media and that, just let them know where they can follow you. Awesome. Check out our work at strengthlab.co.uk. Um, Twitter is UK underscore strengthlab. Don't bother following Simon Brundish unless you like being shouted at or you're a Liverpool fan, which you probably already do. Uh, <laughs> and Insta is... Air Cell Superheroes, I believe. I'll put it all on anyway. I'll put it all in the notes, so don't worry about it if it is, if it is not correct. Brilliant. If anybody is interested in the program, either go to one of those or there's a, on Facebook, you found Strength Lab Superheroes is a page on Facebook as well. Uh, go to one of those or if you go fill in the form on, uh, the contact form on the website, I'll give you free demo access so you can have a good look around and play with the system. Amazing. Amazing. Listen, mate, thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, I hope that you will, when we get this going properly and we get a few more people listening, I hope you'll come back on and we can have another chat. Awesome. Awesome. Cheers, dude. Thanks a lot, mate. Take care. Guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode with Simon. Um, He was definitely someone that I wanted to get on the podcast as soon as I set this up because I know... Um, the business that he's created and also the experience that, that he or experiences that he's gone through I think it's valuable for any coaches to hear the system he's created through um, Strength Lab is amazing so you need to go and check that out um, like we mentioned in the episode he's got his website which is strengthlab.co.uk he's also on Twitter um, at UK underscore Strength Lab and his Instagram is Strength Lab Superheroes as well um, go and check out, especially the Instagram. He puts loads of great drills and, and the work that he does incorporating the, the superhero system that he's created. So go and go and check it out. Also subscribe to the um, subscribe to the podcast and share this episode. We've got loads of really cool guests coming, and uh, I want to get this information to as many coaches and practitioners as possible. So please do us a massive favour and, and give it a share. Also follow us. We're at Football Fit Fed on Twitter. The same on Instagram. The email is mail at footballfitfed.com, and the website is footballfitfed.com. So we'll be bringing you episode three next week. And we look forward to speaking to you then.